Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Workrate Podcast. This is our AEW review. My name is Mike Fenn, and today I'll actually be going it alone. Brad has is actually he is without power. Um, his city in Oklahoma has got hit with an ice storm, and he can't make it today. So hopefully, um, this podcast will work out well with with just me. Um, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's see how this goes. Okay, so um, this week I actually want to start with a little bit of news. Um, as I'm sure everybody knows, um, Serena Deeb, who is signed to AEW, won the NWA Women's Championship. And she actually won it the uh, on Tuesday night, the night before Dynamite, which is uh, it's very interesting because she beat Thunder Rosa, who has been on... AEW Dynamite and on pay-per-views before and is challenged for the title and so it was interesting that she dropped it um some people were suspecting that it was to maybe she was going to sign with AEW some people thought that she was uh Dave Meltzer was saying that she was going to sign with uh WWE supposedly that that's not the case and uh the reason why is because she is training for her next MMA fight, and I think maybe even her next four MMA fights, I guess that's where she's focusing her time right now, because uh, NWA isn't running any shows. So she dropped the title to Deep, which is very interesting, because that signifies a more prominent working relationship between NWA and AEW going forward, with Serena Deeb being a AEW talent, so obviously she's going to be defending it on NWA affiliated shows and AEW. So maybe we'll see some more people. Maybe we'll see AEW and NWA join forces. I would kind of like that because NWA has a really good, a small but really good women's roster that AEW could use. And I also am quite a fan of a NWA power, and I think. Um, AW could learn a lot from that smaller show for their eventual third show, which looks like it'll be starting up early on in the new year. Okay, so this is this is all very exciting, and I'm happy to announce that Thunder Rosa has not signed anywhere yet, and she was actually uh, doing twit, doing sending out tweets, um, hinting that she was watching Serena Deeb, Serena Deeb's success going forward and uh, teasing fans as to where she's going to end up. So I think she's she's having fun. She hasn't signed yet, and hopefully we'll see her back in AEW. Okay, so moving on to uh, AEW Dark this week. There were, I have to say, that this week's AEW Dark was just 16 straight banger matches, and it lasted over two hours. And to be honest... I was exhausted by the end of it. Like, I think it's honestly too much straight wrestling. Without commercials, it would have actually been longer than AW Dynamite, even WWE Raw. So I think they might want to tone it down a little bit on the sheer amount of matches that they have because, like, I watch it when I'm, I turn it on at about 10 o'clock at night and I lay down on the couch and I, it be. Is basically what I do to wind down on my Tuesday night, but I don't think everybody else does that, and I don't think that I think I'm in the minority when where I'm watching 
two hours straight of dark without commercials. It's a little bit much. However, the wrestling on this mat or on this uh, on this night of AW Dark was incredible. It was easily the best AW Dark has ever put out. Um, the matches were high quality. The indie talent they had on was high quality. They had, I think, two or they had at least two of my favorite AW Dark matches ever. And I would go so far as to say they had a legit match of the year contender, at least unironically for me on this card. And I'll get into a couple things because there were, there was a lot to talk about, but I'm only going to focus on a few things. So firstly, um, Anthony Agogo was on commentary to start the episode. And if you don't know who he is, he's actually he was actually an Olympic boxer for uh, for that competed for the UK in the Olympics. Like I don't know what year it was, but I think he might have even been a medalist. I think a silver medalist. So he's a young guy with a lot of pedigree, and he retired from boxing shortly after the Olympics. And then I think he went into um, reality TV for a bit, and then he came back, and uh, AEW signed him, and they've. They've been training him. He's been training with them for a year. He's actually one of their earlier signings before uh, before Dynamite ever even aired. And he is the first, uh, first person that they've trained from scratch through AEW. So it's actually... Uh, Super interesting to see that he's now he's now over from uh, from the UK. He was actually supposed to come over and compete a lot earlier, and then COVID hit, and he got stuck over in the UK. But and even Jericho has even said that uh, Tony Khan pitched Anthony Agogo as being part of the inner circle. He was supposed to be he was pitched for Jake Hager's role, and uh, but Chris Jericho didn't know who he was, and he didn't think he was big enough physically, like. Uh, in stature so that's exciting it looks like he's ready and he's here and i just based off of the commentary how he was speaking with the rest of the commentators i think he's eventually going to end up joining team taz because they had a really good rapport during the episode and they were very complimentary of each other and i really like anthony gogo's accent the guy can talk um so i'm really looking forward to him going forward he kind of he reminds me of a of a british uh, ricky starks on the mic so that's very exciting okay next was a the first match of the night i believe it was 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 actually a really competitive competitive match between dark order and top flight and if you don't know who top flight is they're a couple of, I believe they're brothers, a couple of brothers. They're really young. They've been competing on the uh, on the indie scene, um, largely for GCW, but for other um, promotions as well. They, I be- they were just recently competing at the Collective. I believe they were on the for the Culture uh, uh, pay per view, which was AJ Gray's um, pay per view. Uh, they're really good. They remind me a lot of Private Party, maybe even a little more polished than Private Party and a little quicker as well, which is, that's actually one criticism I have of Private Party is they tend to slow things down going into their moves. Like they're just slowly jogging around the ring. These guys are moving fast and they're young. And I don't know if AW has room for them, 
but they are a team to keep an eye on. They're going to end up somewhere. They're too young and too talented to not. They're going to be in a. They're going to be in WWE or they're going to be in um, AW at some point. It's possible they end up somewhere else. Maybe MLW because I heard they are starting to do uh, television tapings at the moment. So possibly. Okay, moving on from there is Bunny and Kingston had a promo, which was, it was interesting. Um, she said that why she left QT was because she got bored, because she maxed out his credit card, and that she left his family for her real family. And that, uh, and then Kingston says he his family's coming for QTs, so it looks like we will see the uh, feud with uh, Kingston's family and the Nightmare Nightmare family, so that will be interesting. I like that, and it looks like we're all that will will obviously be getting Allie versus Brandy at some point after she's done with Anna J. So I'm good with that. Anything to get more story in the women's division is good by me. And the okay, the next match I'm going to talk about, I. I got so excited when I heard this next match was announced. I literally broke my phone case and had to order a new one. And this is an OtterBox phone case. The ones with the lifetime warranties. I snapped the lock button right off the thing while I was walking down the street when I saw this match. And it was Layla Hirsch versus Sheeta. And I'm going to be completely honest. I am a massive Layla Hirsch fan. I have been for years since I first saw her. And she she's essentially uh well how I describe her as and and don't get me wrong, she's not as polished, but she is like a miniature female Kurt Angle. And when I say that, it's in the sense that she has uh she has a legit amateur background. She was a uh she was a standout uh high school amateur wrestler, and I believe she wrestled in the in college as well but i believe so she's been uh professionally wrestling for two years she's super polished for somebody who's only been wrestling for two years she's wrestled for stardom wxw progress beyond rest in peace beyond i believe they look like they might be having some issues um essentially she's wrestled in every in gcw she was just a blood sport so she's wrestled in every single indie promotion that matters really and so now she's essentially shooting her shot and looks like she's ready to take the next step. And from day one, when I first saw her, I was like, okay, she's going to take that next step. She's got the amateur background, which brings, um, it brings legitimacy to pro wrestling when you see a shooter out there in their shooter gear, in their shooter boots, um, it's it's super impressive and you do not see many of those people in in pro wrestling especially in the women's division sorry you see it in pro wrestling but you do not see it in women's wrestling it's few and far between so it's super exciting to watch her and if anybody's looking for a couple incredible matches of hers she has two free matches online of her versus john silver one where she loses, one where she wins, and they they'll convince you. I'm just telling you right now. If, like if you watch it and you do not enjoy it, then you do not enjoy AW wrestling. 
because that's exact. That's why we're all here. Okay, so she fought Sheeta, and when as soon as Layla came, first of all, the fact that she's facing the AEW Women's Champion is incredible. I don't care if it's on dark. Like this is just an incredible debut. The first thing she does when she comes out is she comes out in her in her Russian flag gear. Um, she's she lives in New Jersey. She's a, she's American, but I believe she was born in Russia. Um, she comes out in her gear, and the first thing she does is walk past the face crowd of uh, of talent and flips them off, gives them the bird. So it's like, okay, here we go. She's showing her fire. They're portraying her as a heel, which is interesting because normally she is a face. And she gets in there, and she just goes toe to toe with Sheeta. Very impressive. Like she looked, she held her own, and I honestly, I thought it was a huge breakout performance for her. One that will get her noticed, and they had to like AW has to sign Layla with the quickness, like immediately. They need it especially when there's some doubts about whether or not they can get Thunder Rosa. Like this is the type of talent you build around. She, the only question I have with her is whether or not she can speak on the mic. Um, yeah, it was a great match. I think it went about 10 minutes. Like it was, it was really good. Like I legitimate four star match on dark from AW women. We don't get that very often. We don't get that on AW dynamite. So I highly suggest watching this match. And I kid you not, like, I was watching this late. I started watching at 10 o'clock. As soon as I finished this match, I looked online. They had already announced Layla Hirsch versus Serena Deeb for AW Dynamite the next night for the NWA Championship. So I was like, okay, um, clearly Tony and the boys sees what I see in Layla Hirsch. So this is very exciting for me. Like, she... You know how big a fan I have is I am of Kenny. I'm a bigger fan of Layla Hirsch than I am of Kenny. Not based necessarily like she's not a better wrestler than Kenny, but there aren't any other Layla Hirsches in female in women's wrestling. They she's just unique. And she's like five four. She's five four and built like a spark plug. It's incredible. Okay, so but yes, it, yeah, two champions in two days. She's got big things ahead of her. Whether it's with AW or not, I hope AW signs her because if they do not, WWE will, and they'll just put her in NXT UK or something because I guess that's where they put all the Europeans. All right, so the next match, another one. This is probably this this one is probably the best. Uh, aw dark match we've ever seen and that was cutler versus avalon the three their third match um i talked about the little press conference they had last week this was the blow-off match for their year-long feud um for winner takes it all and it's it'll be the first win for whoever wins it um for to announce the person who is the who has the second worst record in aw and this is this is honestly, unironically, one of my matches of the year. It is so good. I don't want to disappoint it. I don't want to spoil it. Just know that you have to watch this match. How, however, I will preface that by saying that some of the impact of the story 
and the buildup won't be there if you haven't watched their interactions over this past year. But regardless, the ring work is really good. I'm so happy for Brandon Cutler because he's come such a long way since the since the start of AEW. And Peter Avalon is just an absolute joy to watch. He's a comedic genius, and he, the the man can work. Okay, so moving on to AEW Dynamite. Um, I'll start this by saying I thought the show was very good. I thought there was some... There were some good matches, and then two of my favorite television matches of the year. And so some good, some very good uh, build-up towards Full Gear in, in just over a week's time. So, moving along, we, get, we, have, we, have War, we have a Wardlow interview. And this interview was, uh, it was Wardlow with MJF, and... The interviewer is asking them some benign questions, and MJF interrupts the interviewer and says that, uh, yes, Wardlow is in this tournament. Yes, he's in the semifinals. But he says, if Wardlow wins this tournament and wins the AEW title, that it's actually um, MJF's uh, AEW title because he owns Wardlow. He's paying Wardlow's uh, contract. And that... uh, Anything Wardlow wins becomes MJF's property. And Wardlow, you can see he's behind MJF and he rolls his eyes and he scoffs at it, but then he agrees. And that's interesting because essentially everything Wardlow does is in service of MJF. So in Kayfabe, Wardlow is still trying to get a contract, essentially, even though in real life he, he has a contract. And we all know that. Okay, and then... Um, and then Sammy enters the enters the frame, and he confronts MJF, and uh, he sent MJF says like, "Oh, hey, little buddy," and Sammy's like, "Screw you! I hate you! Yada yada yada! I see what you're doing," and M- and MJF says like, "Hey, man, I, I don't know why you are treating me so badly. I was going to." Uh, he's like, "I was just." He's like, I like you. You're you attacked Matt Hardy last week, but I really think your promo skills are kind of are kind of shit. And they get into a, an argument back and forth and Sammy responds by threatening MJF. And this is interesting because I thought that Sammy would be MJF's inside man in the inner circle and I still kind of feel that way. I feel like this might be a bit of a red herring to throw off the viewer and maybe Chris Jericho, who knows? All right, so then it goes to uh, Wardlow versus Hangman. And Wardlow versus Hangman is an absolute banger of a match. It wasn't too long. I think it was around 12 minutes. Um, very good TV match. Um, Hangman, from the beginning, comes... comes. He's all fired up. He comes charging at Wardlow, hits him with a shotgun dropkick, just starts uh, wailing on him. And Wardlow just shuts it right down with one vicious right hand right to the forehead and i could hear the crack when he hit it It was like holy smoke he really smacked him there and then afterwards when uh he has hangman in the corner you can see a big red welt or like abrasion on uh on hangman's forehead and it's like holy smokes he really just he really just smacked that man in the forehead um and from that point wardlow just pretty much chucks hangman around like a ragdoll 
not dissimilar at all to his match with Jungle Boy the week before, which is very impressive because it proves that Wardlow Wardlow is as powerful as he says he is, and it does not matter if you're light heavyweight or if you're heavyweight, he is going to toss you around like Kermit the Frog. And that's pretty much what he did. However, Hangman was able to get offense in from using counters dirty tr- and dirty tactics kind of like doing submissions in the ropes sh- shoving his face into the tur- into the uh into the post on the outside just sort of taking advantage of Wardlow's inexperience because if there's one thing that Wardlow is weak at it's his experience he hasn't had that many matches um Hangman despite his age is a veteran in this company he's one of the founders um and that that tends to be a trend in AEW is that the uh, the older guys are able to overcome the exuberance and athletic athleticism of the younger, sometimes more talented guys because of their experience. And this has happened with Will Hobbs. It's happened with Darby. Um, you'll see later on tonight. It happens with Layla Hirsch as well. Or later on the show, it happens with Layla Hirsch as well. This is something that they've continuously done, and they've done it with um, with Orange Cassidy as well. And I like this. It shows uh, just that they have the potential, but they're not there yet. So one moment saw Wardlow hit, hit his F10 on Hangman, and this is sort of an example of this. Hangman immediately rolls to the outside to regroup, and Wardlow doesn't jump on top of him right away. And... He chases him outside, and then he gets hit by pretty much all of Hangman's signature moves. He gets hit by Yurahara Moonsault while he's on the outside. They come back inside. Um, Hangman's able to hit him with... He normally goes for <sighs> that fallaway slam off the top rope, but he pretty much just chucked Wardlow over his shoulder. It wasn't the cleanest in the world. And then he... He's able to hit his signature moves, and then he hits him with not one, but two buckshot lariats. And the first one only dropped Wardlow down to his knees, and then the second one took him out. And uh, I thought it was excellent, because it Hangman really looked every bit the conquering hero over a big monster. It was like, um, whatever that Greek uh, Greek story is about the the king who beats the the minotaur is very much like that where he just kind of he outsmarts he outsmarts him he's able to get away by the skin of his teeth but knows that he very easily could have lost and um i really like that AEW has not used um they haven't had Wardlow use his finishing move that uh GTS off the top rope or off the turnbuckle where he pulls the guy into his knee. He's gone for that move in each match in the tournament, but hasn't been able to hit it. Again, kind of showing, I guess, the inexperience there. But they know that if he hits it, he needs to win, because every time he's hit it on somebody so far in AEW, the match has ended in a TKO, and he's the only person in AEW who's ended a match in a knockout before. So... They know he can't do that and still lose in a match. So I thought that was really, really smart. So I mean I give I give this match four stars. I thought it was I thought it was very, very good. 
and I thought they both looked like a million bucks, and Wardlow wasn't hurt at all. This was not a burial. He looked stronger than uh, than Hangman the whole match, and just got just got beat by a more experienced wrestler. Okay, so moving on, we have a Moxley promo, and Moxley essentially says that he's not going to be defending the title this time. He's going to be weaponizing the title against Eddie Kingston, um, and that there's no there's no room in AW for. Uh, excuse-filled wrestlers like Eddie Kingston. He says uh, Eddie Kingston's all ego and that um, Eddie Kingston in that match, in the I Quit match, will be will be all alone with his ego and that he'll do what he does to everyone with Big Mouse. He will crush skulls, crush windpipes, and crush egos. And honestly, this it came off like a 90s action hero sort of played by like Kurt Russell and escape from LA or escape from New York or like Nick, Nick cage in the nineties, like, like really over the top, but it, he Moxley just sells it. He just, he owns that role. Like I was like, he looked cool with the eye patch last year. Like he just, this is just who he is. He's a badass and you believe it. And I like that. <laughs> okay. So next we have uh Matt Seidel or, Eddie Kingston versus Matt Seidel and Kingston comes out first and he cuts a promo essentially saying that uh, Moxley's not here. He's a coward. He's tired of talking. Um, He wants to just fight Moxley, but while he's not here, he will fight the Joker from the casino battle Royale. Um, And that is uh, Matt Seidel and he'll use it as a message to send to Moxley. And he reminds everybody that he, did not get thrown over the top rope as he always does. So the match, the match gets going, and this was a very, very even match, a surprisingly even match. But between two guys with almost forty years of experience between them, like Eddie Kingston always talks about how he's been in the business for eighteen years. Matt Seidel's been in the business for twenty. So they, it was a very clean like well put together match but a, a little maybe a little too competitive for some i thought it was good um i thought that um Seidel out wrestled him with his quickness and with his much much improved technical skills he's actually improved his uh mat wrestling and his submissions significantly since he was in um wwe and even uh njpw um so I've been I've been super impressed with uh, Seidel's submissions. They are they're very unique looking, and supposedly he's been taught by some. I believe it's some Mexican. He's been taught by a Mexican trainer, so that's why his moves are interesting. And but uh, despite the quickness, Eddie Kingston. Uh, all Eddie Kingston needs is just a few quick shots. He was able to uh, slow down Seidel when he when he got it to a brawling uh, to a brawling style. When he grounded him, when he was just dropping elbows on him, hitting him with chops, turning his chest purple. And then all he needs is just a split second to hit the shuriken, and it's done. He hits him with the sh- shuriken, locks in Moxley's bulldog choke, and chokes him out. And then he he calls his uh, his family out to the ring. They bring out the mic, 
put it by uh, Seidel and Kingston calls out Moxley, say I quit. And then Seidel, who's obviously not Moxley, says I quit, I quit. He lets him go and then he essentially, he's sending a message to John Moxley. And I, as I, I'm actually been, I'm interested that uh, Kingston has been using Moxley's bulldog choke. First of all, I mean, it's not that like he's using the other guy's move. That's that's a that's a heel tactic. But Kingston has some very unique um, and very interesting interesting uh, submission holds. He has the uh, he has a stretch plum, uh, which he took from Japan, which is a super cool and unique submission that we don't see often in uh, in North America. And I suspect that that's because they want the match and the submissions to look more violent. They don't necessarily want Kingston to look like the most skilled guy in the world. They want him to look like a brute. So I think that is why it is the way it is, or why it's being portrayed like this. I thought it was a solid match. Three and a half stars. Um, yeah, it did what it, it did what it needed to do. Kingston said what he needed to say. And I think the match next weekend is going to be incredible because Kingston and Moxley on the mic for up to 30 minutes will be fantastic. Okay, and now we have a polarizing or even just an interview that people were have been negative on. It is a Bucks and FTR interview. I actually liked the interview, but I I'm mixed on this segment overall, and I will tell you why. So it's uh, the Bucks in one location, FDR in another, and Excalibur is with the Bucks in their location. And Excalibur asks Matt about the ankle, and Matt says that he would never stop the match or not compete in this dream match because of an ankle. It's a baby injury. He would never do that. And Nick says that he's more hurt than he's letting on. And obviously, like, that that's par for the course. Matt is incredible at selling injuries. So I'm very excited for that aspect of this match going forward. And, uh, then Excalibur asks FTR why they would jeopardize this dream match by attacking Matt. And he says, haven't we waited long enough for this match? Why would you delay it any further? And FDR says that they don't, they frankly don't care about dream matches. They only care about hanging on to the belts and that they only, they're only there about championships and that uh and then they accuse Excalibur of being buddy buddies with the Bucks and that uh that the only reason he's getting a paycheck is because of them and essentially he's accusing them of nepotism and to be fair it's true the Bucks did bring in Excalibur because they have a history with him he's a good friend of theirs they have been part of each other's lives for a long time through PWG, and I thought that was a really good way of bringing some realism and real life into the story, and I appreciated that. And uh, then Matt says that he's been, he's been, he's been, or they've been suffering all year, and that uh, something's been missing. And he says uh, they were they had a fire when they were younger, they had a spark and that they've been looking for that spark. And, um, when FTR started screwing with them and screwing with their fans, 
or not their fans, their friends. Um, it sort of it clicked something in his head and in Nick's head, and that uh, and that that what what FTR the fuse that FTR lit is going to uh, is going to come back to bite them, and then. FDR get frustrated or, or I think Excalibur goes to ask him a question. FDR interrupts him and, and they get frustrated and they storm out of the interview saying that you're not here to interview us. You're just here to interview your friends. We're going to leave. You don't deserve us. And they walk out, which fair enough, fair play to them. And uh, Matt Jackson says that uh, he has an announcement and that he will, he will not be uh, if they lose the match they will not be challenging for the tag titles again. And uh, Nick degrees, Nick degrees, Nick disagrees with the decision. And I honestly, I kind of, I really do feel like this stipulation is tacked on. I feel like it came out of nowhere. Um, especially with them within the past calendar year, having used this exact same stipulation with Cody. And when Cody did it, it seemed more earned. Um, it seemed like Cody's back was up against the wall. The Bucks' back isn't up against the wall in this. They've been going around souping, super kicking people in the head and paying them off. Like they're just mad. With, I don't know. It just it didn't have any narrative reason to be there. And I think why they're doing this is because they are trying to make the Bucks look sympathetic toward the crowd and sort of reverse the perception of them that they have been uh, using heel tactics for a month. And I think people are sort of like, why are you doing a heel versus heel matchup when you could have just done a face versus heel matchup and we would have cheered you? Essentially, I think they're trying to get the Bucks cheered in the match. And this is the way they do that because people are going to want them to win the, to have a chance to hold the belts going forward. And like they're not gonna do a TNT tag title like this. That's silly. So, without a doubt, I think the Bucks are winning the match. And I honestly think if they don't win the match with this stipulation, it's stupid. And the only way I can see a reason for doing it is maybe Nick turns on Matt, saying like, "You, I don't know, you ruined our team or our." our time in AEW with that stupid stipulation. But again, I, I just don't see that happening. I think they're going to win. I don't think you can have two EVPs or I guess three EVPs in a calendar year lose their ability to challenge for the titles. It doesn't make sense. Now, on the other hand, I really do love the story they're telling, aside from the stipulation. Um, what I love about the story is that it's not your traditional wrestling feud. It kind of transcends typical wrestling stories of like, good guy, bad guy, you insult me, I fight you, yada, yada, yada. Um, and people aren't used to seeing that. It's uh, they're playing. What I see is they're playing up the tension and the stress of being EVPs within the company, which they have said, and um, they're they're feeling the weight of the world and the fans and the company on them, and they're sort of crumbling under those expectations. And this is something that has been happening to all of the elite, to Kenny, to Cody, to Hangman, all throughout their stories, all since the very first episode of Dynamite, even before then, when uh, when Kenny lost. 
he said it would be an embarrassment to lose to Chris Jericho. And then he did. And they've felt that they had great expectations coming over from Japan and they haven't lived up to it. And they're sort of all having crises of confidence and expectations. It's just, it's been the crux of every member of the elite story since this has started. And this isn't any different. And they're all, they're all handling it differently, but I think this is how it's playing out for the bucks. And I just don't think North American audiences are used to seeing this. And, uh, but this is, this is why this is the type of storytelling that made me fall in love with the elite in Japan to an extent when they were allowed to and in uh in AEW I love it and, but I feel like I might be in the minority with the bucks at the moment just from what I've seen online okay so the next segment was the town hall which was uh the inner circle deciding if they want to let MJF into the inner circle and they framed it as a presidential debate town hall. So that's where, uh, that's where civilians come up and they ask the presidential candidates questions and they answer it. So what they would do, they were having like various AW personalities come up and ask questions of Jericho and MJF. So the first person was Luchasaurus. He comes up and he asks, the first question is how can um, how can MJF maintain the earning potential of the inner circle, and MJF pulls up a a chart projecting the pre and post earnings of um, of the inner circle, and he's completely patronizing the whole time and just being complete being a complete tosser, and uh, it's funny, it's cute. And then um, Britt Baker comes out and she uh, she asks Jericho, um, she, she says to Jericho that MJF has a terrible track record and how can, um, how can he see MJF's terrible track record with friends and still let him into the inner circle? And uh, Chris Jericho says that he's not an idiot. He said that they wouldn't just let MJF into their inner circle. He said that if he tried to turn on them, they would knock out his teeth or knock his teeth down, uh, down his throat, which was a cute little nod to uh, Britt Baker being a dentist, which I thought was quite funny. And then MJF responds and he says that they all got into wrestling for a reason to win championships and to make money. And he says that if they teamed together, they would be making a lot of green and a lot of gold. And that he would never turn on them. Okay, so the third person was... I was so happy to see this after Dark the night before, but it was Peter Apollon. And he comes up and he's so sad because he lost... Oops, I spoiled the match. Anyways, but he comes up and he uh, he's dejected and he, he says, I'm, he says, I'm going to shoot my shot. Can I join the inner circle? And they all huddle around together and they're discussing it and then they start laughing and they just laugh him off and Avalon leaves dejected and I honestly I felt for him even though like it's it's funny but it's like Avalon just has he has like a I don't know like a dog dog's face like big expressive eyes and that big mustache and I don't know he's he's really good at emoting with his face and he he made me feel for him a bit and then they say that 
Eric B. I think from Virginia. I think that maybe it wasn't Virginia. But anyways, they say Eric B. is here to ask the next question. And it's Eric Bischoff. And he gets a nice uh, pop from the crowd. The crowd that is there. And uh, he, he says, I have three questions. The first is, he asks he MJF, um, what can MJF do for the inner circle? And MJF just, with a big shitty eating grin, says, um, friendship. One word, he just says friendship. And then Bishop's like, okay. Um, what is it that he, he asks Jericho, what is it that you believe that inner circle can do for him? Or no, he he asks, "What do you believe inner the inner circle can do for you?" And MJF says, "He has one weakness, and that he's not a team player, and that he thinks that he can learn a thing about being a team player from the inner circle." And then finally, Bischoff uh, says that given that MJF and and Jericho possess the same negative characteristics of being essentially devious and just villains um what prevents them from killing each other and at first mjf balks at the question and uh he's yelling at the crowd for booing him and he says that he's not going to answer the question and then jericho's like no i want to hear you answer so mjf responds and he gets up and he gets right up in jericho's face and he says he's like how dare can you ask how dare how dare you to ask me this question? He said, I've checked every single box. I've given you presents. I've provided you with entertainment. I've provided, I've offered you friendship. He's like, I gave you the best segment in AEW and your career to date. He's like, what haven't I done? And then Jericho goes nose to nose with him and says, you haven't beaten me. So we're essentially going to be getting uh, MJF versus... Jericho, but he says, uh, sorry, he says, you haven't beaten me, but I'm giving you a shot. So we're essentially getting MJF versus, um, versus Chris Jericho at full gear. And, uh, he says, if you, if you beat me, you can join the inner circle. And, uh, MJF is right up in his face and he says, I'll do whatever it takes. And he's like, I will literally. And Chris Jericho says, oh, I know you will. I would, I would expect nothing less. And he says, no and it's very sinister he says like i will literally do anything and he leans into anything and i'm thinking like it's the ring it's wardlow maybe he's going to use the inner circle to turn on him um we're essentially i think we're going to get some fireworks i believe at uh at folk gear and it'll be fantastic and while he's right up in Chris Jericho's face, being all menacing. Um, Ortiz grabs the mic, and he just tells him, tells MJF to shut his mouth, and he says that Chris Jericho is entertaining you, but we, the rest of us in the, inter- in the inner circle, are not. He said that we don't like him, you don't have a chance of getting in with us, and he says that it's uh, Sammy and Ortiz against Wardlow and MJF next week, and he says we're not letting you get to full gear. And uh, Chris Jericho has a smirk, and they all—they're all looking at uh, MJF and laughing as they walk off. And MJF looks scared, and he's putting down the microphone. And I think this will be a really good segment next week. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, Ortiz has had a lot more to say than I expected him throughout this uh, storyline. 
I think he may have a role to play. He even said that uh, Santana is... He doesn't seem to care one way or the other whether or not you join, and Ortiz and Sammy don't want him to join, and Hager is off preparing for Bellator at the time. So maybe... I don't know, maybe Santana is going to join MJF in his uh, in his inner circle group whenever this... Anyway, this could go any number of ways, and I'm really excited because it didn't look like they had time to get to a match between these two guys for full gear, and I thought this was an excellent way of doing it. I will say that I thought that the segment was a little long-winded. It took a long time. It took a... A big chunk of the show and i think that you could have probably cut a good at least five minutes five minutes off the show to get another women's match in and i think everybody would be thankful for that and i'll get into why i think that in a little bit so the uh the next segment we have was a taz promo with uh it was team taz but it was uh taz was cutting the promo on on Will Hobbs and on Will on Big Will Power Hobbs, and uh, he said he essentially says that people keep asking him why he hasn't gone after Will Hobbs or why he hasn't attacked Will Hobbs or why his offer is still out to him and why he's waiting so long for him to answer, and he says essentially that Will Hobbs has looked really impressive that he has been winning. He won his match on Dark the other night. He says he's strong, he's powerful, and he wins and. Nothing impresses Taz and Team Taz more than winning. So he's willing to wait for the answer, but his patience is waning. And then um, Cage does... I don't know. He says something, but it's good. It's, it reminded me sort of like a, of, of like Demolition or the Road Warriors back in the day where... Um, oh, I can't remember... So was it Ellering? Yes, yeah, so Ellering would be cutting the promo, and the Road Warriors would be behind him, and then they would gra- um, they would just be pacing and like beating their chest, and every once in a while they grab the mic and just shout like one like fierce sentence into the mic, and then hand it back to Ellering. And this reminded me of that, and I really appreciated it. I think uh, the I think that's where Cage's mic skills lie at this point. He's certainly not the mic piece, but he. He's learned something from the rest wrestlers of the 80s and 90s, and I appreciated that. Okay, so next was Cody versus Cassidy in the lumber match. The lumber match. In the lumberjack match. And um, I don't know why they had to do this match so soon after the last one. I feel like it might have just been to compete with Halloween Havoc because Halloween Havoc is a huge draw. So... But yeah, it's a. They did the rematch, and I thought that it was a pretty good match. And the the I was interested in the premise because the um, the lumberjacks weren't there to keep the wrestlers inside the inside the ring. The they were there because the Dark Order said that they would be interfering in the match. So in order to prevent them from interfering in the match, they have a side of face wrestlers as lumberjacks and the Dark Order on the other side. So I thought that was interesting because that's not that's definitely not normally the the premise for these matches. So I was I was intrigued by that. 
Okay, so as the match got going, Cody takes control with his technical wrestling and uh, Orange Cassidy counters because he's sneaky and that's what he does. He lulls you into a false sense of security and he was, he, he was Matt wrestling with Cody. And the Lumberjacks were, as were as I predicted, were trying to interfere from the outside. They were very much taking part in this match. And um, both Cody and uh, Orange Cassidy were taking advantage of... They were each taking turns, taking advantage of the uh, of the interference from the outside, which I thought was interesting. And neither of them were really playing face or heel in this match as a result. And uh, Cody maybe a little bit more playing heel because he did do the uh, he did do the Cody push-ups at one point. Arn got really mad at him from the outside, and I'm still hoping Cody turns heel as a result. But uh, there was one really. I thought it was a cute bit where uh, where Cody hits uh, Cassidy's standing on the apron and Cody hits him with a right hand and Cassidy falls back in sort of a trust fall bit and the best friends catch him and then they t- throw him back up and he goes in the ring and then um, a minute later or like 20 seconds later Cassidy hits um, hits Cody and he falls back for the trust fall and best friends catch him they look down at him and then they just drop him on the ground. And and the Nightmare family's out there as well. So Cody pops up. He's all pissed off. He shoves uh, he shoves Trent. Um, Dust, Dustin is going crazy. He's yelling at Trent and Chuck. And they're like, oh, what do, you, what do you mean? I don't know. And then Cody gets back in the ring. And the next time uh, Cody is near the ropes, Trent actually gives Cody a right hand to the face. It was like, oh. That's interesting because that's a, that's a face punching a face. Maybe I don't know. I thought that was a is very gray area and maybe hinting that maybe the wrestlers are starting to turn on Cody a little bit. Hopefully that's the case. But there was certainly tension between best friends and Nightmare Family. Um, and then in my telecast, it goes to uh, it comes back from commercial break, and it's just an all-out war uh when it comes back like cody's on the heel side he's just just getting beaten down by the heels cassidy come comes running out and he starts fighting off the dark order and the heels it's just a wild melee it kind of really broke down at that point for me but they uh cody got cassidy up in a superplex onto the big pile of sweaty men which was the whole reason for that melee i guess and then uh cassidy lures cody in again into a false sense of security um and then cassidy start he starts hitting all his big moves the tornado ddt the beach break um he hits him with the with, with his splash and then he's setting up the uh the superman punch and out of nowhere silver runs in just yakuza kicks cassidy right in the head um knocks him out and um i think even dustin then punches cassidy while he's on the oh wait no that doesn't happen yet my mistake um yeah oh yes no he he punches he punches cassidy while while he's knocked out and then cody comes to sees silver in the ring he tosses silver out of the ring then he uh then he hits Cassidy with uh with crossroads 
one, two, three, he wins. And then all mayhem ensues. Like, oh, everybody jumps in the ring. Um, Cody's getting pulled out by by Dustin and by um and by Arn and he he's leaving on the ramp and he looks back in and the last people in the ring are Billy, Austin and 10 and Billy and Austin are taking out the last dark order members and they do their finishers on 10 and Cody sees it and sort of acknowledges it and gives them a heads up and then after the match it turns out that it's uh going to be Cody and the Gun Club versus 10 silver and reynolds i think anyway i'll get the match card afterwards um and i was i was a little confused why they had silver attack cassidy and not cody and i was just thinking maybe that's to uh to have cody win the match and so that brody can potentially challenge for that title from cody down the road when he comes back in a mirroring of cody coming back from his injury to take it from brody so that's interesting going forward and then later on it was announced that uh orange cassidy is going to be facing john silver at the um the oh what's it called the pre-show of full gear at the buy-in for full gear and i'm super excited for that that's a fantastic buy-in like that that would be a draw on a regular pay-per-view card so i'm super excited about that and just a couple hours ago i got i got a text from my good friend cody i didn't i've actually signed up to this number that cody has where he sends out text messages and little hints as to story developments and things that are coming down the road but he he sent this text out to the fans and i will read it this is verbatim what he says he says after sitting out all after sitting out all of all out admittedly i was expecting a grander return to pay-per-view i dig darby i solely recruited darby here and i respect his top five ranking and his 12 and 5 record however no he says but how many chances should darby receive he stood across from me three times, and he's never had his hand raised. I won't take him lightly, but I really shouldn't have to take him at all. Let's do the work and win. So to me, that screams heel turn from Cody, or at least the arrogant character that he's doing that sort of portrays him as a heel. So I think maybe this him coming back but being the conquering hero after his injury might be a bit of a ruse i'm hoping that he is going to be going heel and i don't know if that text message will be used as tweets going forward but he really should use it because it's pretty cool okay so the next segment was miro and kip attack the best friends backstage and okay so they attack they uh they confront the best friends backstage they say they'll they fake forgive them and then attack them they beat them up in the locker room say they'll never forget them and honestly i i really do not like this storyline that they're using for miro it's been a big letdown and i'm a giant miro fan but i'm just not engaged 
and I do not want to see this storyline continue. The, this build has been going on since the last pay-per-view. He's had a full three months for this build, and it's just been bad, in my opinion. And for the most part, the rest of the rest of the internet seems to agree as well. And I mean, I love Miro, but this ain't it. And supposedly, or not supposedly, Miro has released a statement. I'm not going to read that one because it's much longer. But uh, I can paraphrase it a bit. He essentially says that uh, that he doesn't care what the critics think of him because they're not his fans. And he was held down for so long in WWE that he does not care at all what, what critics think. And that fans need to let his stories unfold to their conclusions before they pass judgment. But he's essentially asking you not to pass judgment. And honestly, I think this is, this is bullshit. I'm a massive fan of Miro, but uh, there's a difference between good faith criticism and bad faith criticism. And good faith criticism is always fair game. Like you should always be able to criticize the things that you love. And sometimes angles just aren't working. And this one's just not working. And he will have fans turn on him if he continues to do this. Especially going online and saying that anybody that has a criticism of him is not his fan. Like he needs to pull back from that. Because I'm both a fan and a critic. Like, I'm a fan first. I'm doing this podcast because I'm a fan. So he's, he's got he's to pull back from that a little bit. It's a little, it's a little much. Okay, so the next match with, is Serena Deeb and Layla Hirsch. And you've already heard me talk about my friggin' love of Layla Hirsch's work. But, um, okay, so Serena Deeb comes out she gives a promo it's kind of a bit of a weak promo to be honest but uh she hasn't she, for all serena deeb's experience in the wrestling industry she doesn't have that much cutting promo so i'm willing to give her some slack here um she essentially says that uh the belt that she won the nwa title has a legacy of all the women that have come before it has a lot of history and a lot of respect and she is going to show people why they should respect her going forward and why they should have been respecting her for all these years. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Cause she's been forgotten and she's been sort of held back as a coach in WWE. So it's like, all right. I mean, it's a little bare bones, but it's cool. It, it sets the stage and the, so she and Layla come out and Layla, she's out wrestling uh, Serena Deeb early on, even though, um, I mean, I didn't catch this, but I've seen, I've heard from a few people while I was watching it. And then afterwards that, uh, Serena Deeb was visibly leading her along in the match. And I didn't notice that, but, um, I, like, I thought, I thought they looked good, but Layla was out wrestling her within kayfabe early within the match. She was, uh, she was visibly more technical than Serena Deeb. She had her in a really nice spot where she had these rolling face locks. She did three of them where she maintained control, sort of like uh sort of like a uh where you maintain wrist lock or where you do the uh suplex roll, do the suplex roll. But so she had her in the face locks and she kept maintaining control and rolling over and countering Serena Deeb and it was 
I've never seen anything like that in a match. And that's something that you might see a little bit more of in amateur wrestling. And she had a, yeah, so, and sorry, JR was gushing over Layla at this point. He was talking about like, uh, it's like, oh, we've never seen a woman like this with this kind of background in wrestling. It's, it's very rare to see this. He was going, he was, uh, he was talking about her little shooter boots. He was talking about uh, she had a legit wrestling background. And yeah, so they're going back and forth. And it was really a toe-to-toe match. And Deeb was using her craftiness and experience to counter uh, Layla Hirsch's raw power and wrestling skills. And I thought it was uh, very reminiscent of the Hangman versus War- versus Wardlow match, where it was uh, the Wiley veteran was... Uh, was sort of outthinking the uh, the emotional and powerful younger inexperienced wrestler, and when it, during the commercial break, I watched this a second time once with commercials and once with uh, once with picture in picture, and Layla had uh, multiple times Layla Hirsch had deep in these in these multiple arm multiple arm holds in the ropes, um, just. It's just showing an absolute mean streak and some serious submission skills. And uh, and while I actually thought that it, I knew Layla wasn't going to win, but during the match, I was buying into the fact that she could win. And then similar to uh, um, Wardlow earlier in the night and similar to Will Hobbs, on uh two weeks ago i believe she went up for the big high risk move which for her is her admittedly beautiful moonsault a la, a la kurt angle however when she hit the ground uh serena deep was not there she had already moved and deep capitalized by hitting her a swinging neck breaker and a vicious submission move which i don't know i don't know the name of it and they didn't call it out in the broadcast but it was a uh, another very uh, strong debut, this time on Dynamite for Layla Hirsch, and a very strong defense for Serena Deeb. And interesting that she's defending that belt for the first time on AEW. So hopefully they and NWA have a working relationship going forward. I'm very excited about that. And again, Layla Hirsch needs to be signed. This match was four stars. I very much liked it. And it's probably, it's one of the better women's television matches I've seen, let alone overall in a long time. Pro- actually, probably since Serena Deeb's last match with Thunder Rosa. So not a coincidence there. Okay, so moving on. Uh, oh, yes. Sorry. I was genuinely concer- or concerned, curious when this match was filmed. And I say that because during the the dark match card graphics, um, Layla Hirsch was wearing her Russian colors. In this match, she was wearing her... And, and in the Dynamite uh, match card, she was wearing her Russian colors. However, in this match, she was wearing her older... She has... Uh, I don't want to say older gear, but her her other gear that she wears more often, but, is, but isn't quite as flashy. Um, so she's wearing different gear. She had um Serena Deeb in her in her promo uh in the match card that they announced literally 
like, I don't know, like an hour after she won the title in the match card that they showed later on that night, she's holding up the belt. Somehow AEW got photography of her with the belt, put together the thing. They managed to shoot a promo with her holding the belt. That They flew her all the way back to Jacksonville to have the match. I just, I don't know when they filmed this match. I have suspicion that they might have filmed it maybe before the dark match and known and based off of this match booked the dark match and just showed them in different orders. I don't know why, but just very interesting stuff because the, uh, at first I had, uh, or many people had thought that this match was to replace the Tay Conti Abaddon match where Abaddon got injured but suppose apparently that's not the case and uh there is another match later on in the night that is uh that is a much shorter match which replaced that other one which i guess was going to be a squash so interesting and then so they cut backstage and uh it's this is so terrible it's shida is with um alex marvez and she just challenges Nyla to a match at full gear in like 20 seconds. Like there's absolutely no build. Sheeta hasn't been on TV. The the only time she's been in a match has been on dark. Like this is, this is what you've given her after three months build. You give her 20 seconds on TV. Like this is not okay. They need to do better by Sheeta or take the belt off of her. And I don't know why you take it off of her just to put it back on Nyla. It doesn't make sense. My only thinking is that the only way this makes any sense is if maybe this whole time they've been trying to sign Thunder Rosa and they haven't been able to. So they've been playing the waiting game. That's the only thing that makes sense. Otherwise this is, it's terrible quite honestly. And yeah, moving on. Okay, so the next match was a squash match between Spears and VSK, um, who is an, an indie talent. And uh, Spears comes out, hits the his C4, and just casually scoots his butt back into a pin with this ridiculous look on his face and gets him in the 1-2-3. Honestly, I think it was a shorter match than Kenny Omega's match the previous week. And it was it was funny. I laughed. It was good. Um, good for him. This match was, this is the match that replaced the Tay Conti match where Abaddon got hurt. Supposedly Abaddon's doing okay and she'll be okay. It was, it was a back elbow that hurt her. Um, so it would have actually been, uh, two female matches on a, on the show for the first time in a long time, which would, would have been interesting. Granted, it looks like it might've been a 22nd match anyways. Um, but it was funny and then after the match uh spears is getting pelted by candy he looks out in the crowd and this is a halloween episode so there's a guy dressed as a bull out in the crowd throwing candy spears runs out there grabs the bull pulls him into the ring goes to tully gets the loaded glove turns back around and the bull's taken off the the head and it's scorpio sky and he hits him with the tko knocks him out and i thought that was good and uh they are having a match next week on dynamite so that'll be fun looking forward to that it should be really good um sean spears is a good worker and i'd like to see him more on dynamite and sky should always be on dynamite okay so and now for the 
the main event of the evening and honestly one of the another again one of the best matches on dynamite let alone in aw but certainly on dynamite and that is um pentagon versus kenny and penta got in this match because he faced ray phoenix last week and ray phoenix got hurt in the match they're brothers and then um kingston told phoenix that he was giving his spot in the tournament to penta penta loves it and then <laughs> and kingston told uh phoenix he's like isn't it amazing when i win the title i get defended i get to defend it against my best friend and phoenix looks hurt and upset and uh i think they might be building towards a phoenix versus penta rivalry down the road that'll be fun okay so penta is he's coming down the ramp with phoenix and i believe i saw this i can't I haven't uh, rewatched it to double check, but it looked like uh, Penta appeared to blow off Phoenix on the on the ramp. So it, I think that gives more credence to the fact that I think Pentagon and Phoenix are going to blow up at some point, and we're going to have a feud. And it's going to be incredible. And Kingston is probably fostering the dissension between the two of them to better himself somehow. I don't know, but I'm very excited for that. Okay, and then. Uh, Kenny comes out and he has, again, it's another super funny introduction where the cleaner ladies come out. This time they're wearing Pentagon and Phoenix Max masks. Hilarious. He once again get, once again has the incredible introduction, um, again, by uh, Justin Roberts, talking, talking about all kinds of funny um, accolades for Kenny. I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but they're ridiculous. Um and when they get once they get into the ring and uh Kenny is wearing his shirt and if you and if for people that don't know when Kenny when Kenny wears his shirt in the ring he's trying to disrespect his opponent he's trying to uh make his opponent look like they are beneath him he's been doing this since he was in Japan and he did it once already in uh in AEW when he when they when he and the Bucks faced um Jurassic Express and he was face and he was uh going up against Marco Stunt, he wouldn't take off his shirt. So they they he's disrespecting Penta and Penta is uh he's visibly upset. And they but they do a couple moves and um and then Penta stops. He tells him to take off his shirt. And Kenny's like, oh, what, this? This shirt? And he starts pulling it up just a little bit, like teasing. And he pulls up a little further, and he's wearing the the AAA title underneath his uh, underneath the shirt, which is the title that he won off of Phoenix in the in the AAA promotion. And Pentagon's going wild. So he, he takes off the shirt. He lays down the belt between them. He's mocking him. Um, is is really funny and then uh the two of them just have this absolute chop off between the two of them they are just wailing on each other penta hit kenny with this chop i thought he was going to (laughs) explode and um then penta takes off the glove and he does the the toss toward the ref and and kenny catches the glove and then he just slaps pentagon across the face with it and then he just starts hammering on penta and the whole time throughout this whole match kenny is so arrogant and 
every time Kenny, well, not every time, but like over and over, Kenny would get arrogant and Penta would take advantage of this. While Kenny was showboating or being arrogant, Kenta would counter him. Kenta would uh, hit him with a low kick. Kenta would do this and that. And they were just going back and forth, just blistering each other. Kenny hit uh, Pentagon with four V-triggers. One of them was a counter to a sling blade, of all things. And Penta hit Kenny with a destroyer on the ramp that was so brutal. And then he takes him inside the ring, hits him with the uh, with the package pile driver, and then he goes for the Fujiwara armbar. But the the snap version that he does, where uh, in in Lucha Underground he would then kayfabe he'd be breaking people's arms, and this is the same move he used on Phoenix the day, the week before. And uh, so when Kenny goes to then uh, hit him with another chop. He grabs his arm, so he can't use his arm anymore. But he's able to uh, he's able to counter another move by Pentagon by hitting with another knee in the face, and then he's able to get him up for the one ring for the one winged angel to end it. And I just I just loved this match because all the Pentagon's offense came off of Kenny's arrogance, and even though Kenny was so arrogant, he won. And he looked like he won easily. And just reinforcing the fact that he was never actually trying during his first year on Dynamite. Like he did not he did not have to try to to beat Pentagon. Like he could be whoever he wanted to be. He could be a complete jackass and, and dance around the ring and be be this arrogant prick. And he didn't have to he didn't have to bring his A game, because that's enough to beat Pentagon. And uh, it was incredible. And it was a five-star match. I loved it. And when I say that, it's a five-star... Uh, no, no, it's a five-star match. But it's certainly like a five-star TV match. I thought it was just one of the best things we've seen. And again, just reinforces the fact that we need to see Pentagon and Ray Phoenix going singles because their psychology within matches is and the way they put matches together is just incredible and i can't wait to see it going forward okay so what are we or what am i i guess looking forward to next week all right so aw's match i was looking at the card for next week and it is uh i believe there are there are four matches announced it's a little light i assume we'll hear more matches before next week. So we have the Inner Circle, which is Sammy Guevara and Ortiz versus MJF and Wardlow. I'm sure that match will pr- that will probably be the main event. It looks incredible. There's going to be a lot of story development there. Um, maybe we see one of Sammy or, or Ortiz turn on the other um, to help MJF win, because MJF, I would say, is clearly winning that match. I would assume um, we we also have Wardlow who seems to be having more and more story development with MJF. Maybe he turns on MJF. I don't know. We'll we'll see something happen in this match uh, heading into full gear. And I think it's going to be amazing. And then we have uh, Miro versus Trent. Um, I kind of hope this doesn't set up a match for, for, for full gear because full gear is pretty full right now and those uh those pay-per-views are very long as awesome as they are by the time it ends i am exhausted so 
I'm hoping... I don't really want to see this go longer. Anyways, that matches next week. And then we have uh, Spears versus Scorpio Sky. Uh, that'll be great. Um, I don't think we're going to get a match at full gear with this one, but it could end up... They could uh, do a match and then have a blow-off match on the pre-show, maybe, on the buy-in. Then we have Cody and the Gun Club, which is Austin and Billy Gunn, versus John Silver, Colt Cabana, and Ten. That's who the other opponents were. Um, that match should be fun. I'm not huge on Billy Gunn being as old as he is and as slow as he moves around in matches anymore, but uh, it helps Austin Gunn get on TV, and uh, Austin Gunn has potential, but he is very green. Um, but we will see Cody versus uh, the Inner Circle, and that tells me that we're going to see more Cody versus the Inner Circle going forward. I think that we will see Inner Circle involved in his match against Darby Allen at Full Gear, and I think we will likely see Brody Lee at Full Gear at some point. He's been gone for a while, and I think he will come back. Whether or not he challenges Cody, I'm not sure. Okay, so that's it for next week's card so far. It seems pretty light on big matches, or just anyone of... Well, there's some people of note in it, but not not, not too much. So I think there's more matches to come, and we'll, we'll likely have a lot of story elements. It being the go-home show for Full Gear, so I'm excited for that. And yeah, so overall, I would I would give this episode of Dynamite because most of the, I would give it a three point seven five I think because I gave most matches either a four or a three and a half star, so three point seven five very which is very good. It was a it was a very good episode, not perfect because of I guess I don't know the Sheeta stuff really really upset me but the highs were really high on this one the the women's match was fantastic and the kenny match was fantastic as well so i'm very much looking forward to full gear and i will see you guys next week hopefully with brad um if you get a chance to send him a tweet please do i don't have his his um his twitter handle um, so I apologize for that, but you can reach me at, at Fantastico, that's F-E-N-N-Tastico, Fenton being my last name. Um, if you have any questions that you would like to ask us for the show, please send them my way, and uh, hopefully both of us will be back here next week. All right, see you then.